You're listening to the Gridiron Growl Podcast from ChopTalk.com. Welcome, everyone, to episode 30 of the Gridiron Growl Podcast. This is none other than your boy, David Soderquist, along with lead man in charge, at Chop Talk, Brian Fox Jr., and we're going to be discussing the most popular position of any college football team and a huge position that's going to change for the Florida Gators this year, and that is quarterback. And how could you have a good quarterback discussion without having none other than a former Florida quarterback on your show, right? So joining us today is none other than former Florida quarterback under the old ball coach himself, Steve Spurrier. And former NFL quarterback for the Chicago Bears back there in 1993 when I was just a little guy. And a former quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, and that is none other than Shane Matthews. And I just want to start out by saying first, Shane, thank you, and it's an honor and a privilege to have you on this episode, man. I appreciate y'all having me on, guys. Yeah, Shane, first things first, I want to talk about it, and I want to kind of do this in a chronological fashion, but I want to talk about the recruitment of you. You came out of um, Mississippi. Uh, you were the Mississippi State Player of the Year. Um, can you talk about your recruitment, describe what it was like, uh, how you ended up choosing Florida? And I know your son kind of went through a very similar uh, experience as far as being recruited by different schools. Uh, how has that experience changed over the last, what, 25, 30 years now? Oh, man, it's, it's changed quite a bit. I mean, you know, there were no cell phones, no Twitter, no social media, just fax machines back in the day. And uh, I grew up a coach's son. Uh, played the game my whole life, and my dad played at Ole Miss with Archie Manning, so it was kind of a foregone conclusion that I'd be an Ole Miss Rebel. But um, when I started getting recruited, um, you know, I, I just wanted to play big-time SEC football. Uh, so I kind of ruled out the Mississippi schools and uh, took my visits to Florida, Florida State, LSU, and Texas A&M and uh, narrowed it down to Florida and Florida and LSU. LSU was much closer to home. Uh, my best friend from high school was my center in high school, and he committed to LSU, and they thought we'd be a package deal. But for whatever reason, my, my, my parents and I kind of fell in love with Gainesville and the University of Florida. Uh, Galen Hall was the head coach at the time and uh, decided to be a Gator. But, uh, you know, my, my son, uh, he's a redshirt freshman, he was last year. Uh, he's a way better player than I ever was at the high school level. Uh, he was two-time All-State, 6A quarterback here in the state of Florida, threw for about 6,400 yards, 65 touchdowns. Uh, just unfortunately didn't get my height. He's only 5'10". Uh, had a lot of opportunities to play. Had a lot of offers from the Valdosta States, the Mercers, those type schools. Um, but wanted to – have the experience of playing at a major program and, and Dan Mullen gave him a preferred walk on a couple of years ago. And with his grades, uh, pretty much it was a, a full ride. It made sense for him to, to stay home and go to Florida. Now, Shane, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about 1990. Uh, your first team, your first season starting, uh, you guys go nine and two, six and one in the sec. You have the best record in league play, but because the program was on probation, they had those sanctions. Uh, you guys are not officially declared SEC champions. We have heard many, many times what uh, Steve Spurrier feels about that subject. I just kind of want to hear what your thoughts are on that. Well, I, I, I think everybody part of that team, uh, that 1990 team is one of the most important teams in Florida football history. It laid the foundation 
uh, for everything. And they are, we were the SEC champs. We still consider ourselves SEC champs. Uh, we had nothing to do, nobody on our team. It was like five or six years before us, some alleged child support payment or what have you, but had nothing to do with anybody coaching or anybody playing. Uh, so we still consider ourselves the SEC champs in 1990. I still consider the Orlando Apollos the AAF uh, Super Bowl champions, considering the, that that went haywire with uh, over there. But hey, Steve Spurrier had him on a on a good roll there. And uh, my my big question, man, and, and, and it's 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 a funny thing when you talk to Steve Spurrier because Steve Spurrier says a lot of things, and he's very he's not afraid to say anything that's on his mind. What kind of stories do you have from Steve Spurrier? Do you have any funny ones? Well, gosh, there's so many of them. You just got to be around the guy. Uh, I, I wish I would have written them all down. I mean, the, the one person that remembers all the stories that played for him is James Bates, and he does a tremendous job with them. I mean, you know, it, it, one of my favorite sayings that he ever said, and he said it multiple times, and it could rub people the wrong way, but, you know, it's not your fault. It's my fault for putting you in the game. And that was his favorite saying. And it's, it's somewhat true. I mean, I think a lot of coaches don't take uh, full responsibility of, you know, hey, if I put these players in the game, I expect them to play well. But if I put them in there and they don't play well, hell, it's my fault. I didn't coach them up well enough. So, you know, Coach Spurrier is one of my – I'm as close to him as – I think probably Danny and I are close to him as, as any players that played for him. Uh, I see him two or three times a week now. Uh, we've become much closer. Uh, but there's no human being like him. There's been never been a coach like him. There's never been a coach do it his way like Spurrier did. And uh, hopefully one day a former player will write some type of book about Coach Spurrier. Yeah, and we saw how that team had changed once Steve Spurrier took over as head coach. Is there anything that you learned from Steve Spurrier being coached, just in, just in life in general, not even on the, on the football field, just in life? Yeah, I mean, he didn't have a whole lot of rules. You know, a lot of these coaches have a lot of rules. Uh, he had basically, you know, go to class, do what's right, treat women respect, respectfully. And the only cuss words you could say were damn and hell. Uh, now, other cuss words got thrown out there, uh, but he would he would get on you. But, yeah, he's just a guy, you know, he never had a whole lot of rah-rah in him uh, talking to us. He just said good things are going to happen, bad things are going to happen, got to just keep playing and he kind of uh related that to, to life good things are going to happen bad things are going to happen you just got to keep plugging away and um you know he inherited a really good uh, very talented team in 1990 uh that just hadn't been coached up correctly some people weren't in the right you know the right pieces of, of the puzzle weren't into place and he put it all together and he started his tremendous 12-year run Shane, of all the accomplishments that you had at UF, and obviously you were a three-time SEC first-teamer, um, you were a fifth in like the Heisman voting in, in 91. Uh, of all those accomplishments that you had, is there anything that kind of stands out that you're maybe most proud of? Uh, I would say winning the SEC Player of the Year two years. Uh, there's only, I think, five people in the history of the league that's ever won it twice. Uh uh, maybe six. So uh, I would say that. But, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do any of that if it wasn't for the coaches or the players around me. I mean, a, a quarterback's only as good as his players around him. 
Um, but, you know, and, and I guess coming from fifth string to, a, to the starter in 1990 uh, was a pretty good accomplishment as well. Yeah, and on the Spurrier thing, we were talking about how, you know, the players weren't coached up well. Spurrier takes over, coaches them up well, obviously wins SEC championships, wins the national championship. Um, do you, with Dan Mullen taking over as head coach, we obviously see the improvement of the team. And um, as it transitions from Jim McElwain to Dan Mullen, you can see, you know, there's more of a winning culture here now as the year ended last year, it kind of ended on a sour note. Uh, you lose those. You lose that game to LSU. You have a close game with Alabama. Then you obviously you lose a lot of people to the NFL playing Oklahoma. We probably knew how that game was going to go out anyway before it even started. Uh, there was a lot of things that happened between Dan Mullen and, and, and these press conferences where uh, you know you had the Texas A and M comment of you know the fans and towards the end of the year, Dan Mullen looked like he was. I don't know. if just a weird he was kind of out of it or uh you know you didn't see the the gator standard attitude from him towards those last five four three games out of the year do you do you think that is more of just the job wearing on him or was it just a uh you know just something that the the year itself just wore out on him with with covid and everything um you know steve spurrier uh, uh, spurrier didn't you know obviously didn't put up with anything kind of like that he would always you know you said he would blame himself if if he didn't coach his players upright or anything like that but you saw dan mullen he kind of started making excuses towards the end of the year and it, it to me it just seemed odd it wasn't like the normal gator standard attitude you had from dan mullen back in 2018 and 2019 do you think the job is it was wearing on him or do you think it was just an off year personally for dan mullen uh, I tell you what, it's been a, a very difficult year for all coaches around the country, all players, the things they've had to go through, uh, you know, not using that as an excuse because everybody had to deal with it. Uh, I don't think the season went as they expected. Um, you know, I said it before the season that we were going to struggle defensively because I didn't think we had a uh, SEC caliber defensive line. Uh, and it all starts up there. So it, it kind of caught up with us towards the end of the year. Uh, the LSU game is the one that really kind of turned the tide. But, you know, when you don't play well and you turn the ball over a bunch, you don't score when you have opportunities, you're going to lose football games. And it just so happened it happened to us that, that night against LSU. So I think Dan's the right guy. I mean, he understands what it takes here. It's not easy. Um, you know, obviously going eight and four, I believe, is what their record was is, is not what we all wanted. And, and back to Coach Spurrier. I think one of the most amazing stats in his 12 years at Florida is that every player that played for him won a minimum of nine games. And um, so I think, I think that's, uh, so that's where we need to get back to, and I think we're heading in the right direction. So you obviously played a pretty long career in the NFL, uh, 14 years with, uh, I believe it was six different teams. Um, which city in the NFL uh, did you enjoy playing in the most? Which stadium? And, and what was that like, holy crap, I made it moment for you specifically? Well, I mean, every kid's dream is to play in the NFL. And I was fortunate. I didn't get drafted. So, you know, the average career of an NFL player is two and a half years. Um, and somehow I made it 14 years. Not because of my talent, but it's more for my mind. Coaches. Uh, you know, if you're a backup quarterback in the NFL, you get all you do is stand around. Uh, that is all you do. You sit in meetings. You never watch yourself on tape. You try to stay awake, 
try to pay attention, know the plan, know the playbook, and then you go out to practice and you do a bunch of standard standing around and coaching. So uh, that's that's why I lasted 14 years. I played and I started started I think 35 games in 14 years. Uh, was very blessed to play that long. Uh, I would say, I guess my favorite city. I mean, I always lived in Gainesville in the all season. I only lived in my football cities for four months out of the year, just during football season. So I would say probably Chicago. I was there the longest seven of my 14 years. Um, my favorite place to play there's, there's two is Kansas city and green Bay Lambeau field. There's nothing like Lambeau field. There's nothing like the Packers organization. Uh, it's my favorite. Um, but yeah, I was, I was blessed to play 14 years. And like I said, it's, it's, it wasn't because of talent. It was because of the way my mind works. And Shane, you alluded to that you, you, you still call Gainesville home um, after all these years. Um, I know, I think I've seen you out at the Jonesville park out there um, and you've really made this, this community your home. What is it about this community that's so special in your opinion? Well, it's a good place to raise kids. Um, you know, the one thing that I don't like about it, and I didn't know this uh, leading up to my kids going to high school, is uh, from a sports standpoint, Alachua County stinks. Uh, they don't get a whole lot of supports, support from the, uh, the county. Uh, facilities are horrible. But other than that, it's, it's a good place to live. Um, when I graduated and had an opportunity to play in the NFL, I knew I wasn't going to want to live up north because pretty much all the teams I played for were up north. And so I wasn't going to go back to Mississippi. So I was like, and I talked to Coach Spurs, but I was like, hey, I made games with my all-season home when I was playing. So I just did that. A lot of guys do it. Um, small town, I don't like big towns. I like to live out. I live out in the suburbs. And um, it's just a, it's a good place. To, you know, if you want to go watch some sporting events, you can. Like my favorite sport to go watch on campus is, is Florida softball. Um, I prefer going to that than any other sport. So, um, you know, it's just the, my kids both loved uh, growing up here. They got to live in NFL cities until Thanksgiving, and then they'd come back to Gainesville and go to school. So uh, it's just it's a good little town to live in. Uh, I wish our golf courses are a little bit better, um, but we got some good ones in Ocala and other places. So, uh, other than that, I, I love Gainesville. Definitely. Hey, um, before we get into this year's quarterback play and the quarterback play of the last couple of years, uh, I did want to get your opinion on how the quarterback position has evolved, specifically over the last 25 to 30 years. Well, I think the biggest thing you see is guys are more athletic. Um, you know, they they run around a little bit more, you know, the the dual threat, however you want to phrase it, has caused more problems on a defense. Um, and that's what you see in college football. It's kind of translated a little bit to the NFL. But if you can't throw the football at a high level, you you have zero chance of playing in the NFL. Um, you can get away with it in college. But that's the biggest difference, I think, in the last 15, 20 years is the athleticism and the running abilities of these quarterbacks. Yeah, and the spread offense has become such a wildly popular concept, but that was still fairly new when you and Steve Spurrier were, were cooking this up back in 1990. Um, as you look at it now, is it kind of just like, wow, this is very similar to the stuff that we did? And do you kind of do you look back on that at all and, and just with any kind of enthusiasm? 
Well, people have different versions of what or how they phrase the word spread. I mean, hell, we were going five wides with no backs in 1990. Uh, that, 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 that to me is spreading you out. Uh, but we also lined up in the eye and would run downhill. You know, Spurrier was more of a vertical passing attack. A lot of these teams now that run the so-called spread, it's a lot of horizontal stuff. And every now and then they'll take some shots. But uh, I think that's the biggest difference I see in what Spurrier tried to do was more vertical down the field, take shots. You know, we take seven to eight shots a game where some – you watch some football games, these guys don't ever take any shots. They're, they're, they're way too conservative, but that's their philosophy. Yeah, and with the NFL going to more, I guess you would call spread uh, offense, you see quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers even now, wasn't really a runner until I think five or six years down. He started working on his running game now because he's trying to transition into how the, the, the new breed and the new blood of quarterbacks in the NFL are – you know, they're coming out here with all of them are running like four fives, four sixes, four sevens as at quarterback. Some of them, uh, you got Lamar Jackson, uh, people like Dak Prescott, uh, the quarterback, it, it just the at quarterback and in the NFL, the spread is just kind of almost, it used to be all pro style. Now you're seeing a little bit more of the RPO, I guess, spread. And we talk about Tim Tebow a lot. A lot of fans are talking about how Tim Tebow was in the NFL, won that one playoff game. Uh, had a good year for the Denver Broncos, goes to the Jets, never gets to play, gets eventually, you know, tries out for the Patriots. And Bill Belichick tells him, you know, it's probably not in it for you to play NFL at this next level. But now do you think Tim Tebow, you know, as quarterback back in 2009 when he, or 2010 when he came into the NFL, do you think it was just bad timing on Tim Tebow's part? Do you think now that the football game in the NFL has transitioned more to this kind of, you know, running quarterback, league do you think maybe Tim Tebow would have survived in this league if he had came in at this time uh maybe I mean I think the thing that hurt Tim was his throwing ability he was not a, an elite uh, accurate thrower and that's why I, I've said I've been on record I think Lamar Jackson's a phenomenal quarterback he's never going to win a Super Bowl he doesn't throw the ball well enough and it happens every year when you get in the playoffs he's such an elite runner with just you know, Olympic type speed. And that's why he hurts people in the regular season. But when you break down tape and teams really get ready for when the games matter, he can't beat you throwing the football. Um, and that's why when you look at the quarterbacks that make those deep runs, win Super Bowls, they're elite throwers. You know, Brady's an extremely accurate passer, works the pocket like no other. He's a tremendous leader. He's not the most talented guy. The most talented guy I've ever seen play the position used to be Aaron Rodgers, but now Patrick Mahomes is clearly more talented than anybody that's ever played the quarterback position. The way he can make every throw from every arm angle, um, he's elite. And so I think that's that's what wins Super Bowls at that level or guys that are elite passers. Yeah, and, uh, I remember watching that Super Bowl where he was just about dragged down, and he I, – I don't know how he did that, but he kind of sidearms the ball while he's about to be tackled, and it hits – I can't, I think, can't remember who it hit right in the face or right in the helmet, but it was accurate. It was completely accurate, and he's just about to hit the ground, and it looks like he didn't even put any kind of – oomph on it or anything like that and it just I, I don't know like if Patrick Mahomes he amazes me with some of the stuff that he does obviously didn't win the Super Bowl but 
you could see, it, like you were talking about, how elite Patrick Mahomes is. And uh, obviously, we're going into this draft now, and there's a ton of quarterback talent. And, you know, it, obviously, Trevor Lawrence would probably be the first overall pick. Uh, you you know you've got Justin Fields and you got a good you've got a good quarterback class coming out here and obviously Kyle Trask is a name that was obviously overlooked. We obviously know what he did this year for this Florida football team broke a ton of records passing. And when I look at Kyle Trask and and I see a smart quarterback, he's got a smart quarterback IQ. He's very accurate. He's got a good quarterback IQ. He can make decisions. He can make decisions pretty quick in the pocket, whether he wants to throw it out of bounds or force it to somebody. And obviously, he had good weapons like Kyle Pitts and Trevon Grimes, who are obviously not going to be playing this year, going into the NFL as well. And you talk about arm strength, and, and a lot of people have commented on Kyle Trask's arm strength this first year. His arm strength did get better, I think, the second year, his last year that he was at Florida. Do you think that might hurt Kyle Trask in the draft? Uh, yeah, I mean, from the people that I've talked to, uh, Kyle's like the sixth or seventh quarterback that should be taken, but, but that, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, hell, I was supposed to be the third quarterback taken when I came out and I never got my, nobody ever called me. So right. he could, he could easily be the seventh guy taken or he could be the third guy taken. We don't know, or he may not get drafted. You just don't know what's going to happen. I think Kyle will probably go late second, third round, probably, um, I think the biggest thing when you – I think he's going to last in the NFL a long time. A, because he he understands the game. B, he's a tremendous teammate, which you have to be if you're going to be a backup quarterback. And the other thing is he's got – he's big and he's talented. The the knock on him, as you said, is the so-called arm strength, which that, that to me means nothing. I, I can't tell you how many guys I've seen with tremendous arms that can't play the game. Kyle can play. I think he'll be a great backup. He, if he gets his opportunity to start, who knows? He may be able to be a starter. Uh, but his feet, he needs to work on his feet. He doesn't have the quickest feet in the world, and that is one of the most important things at playing position. If you watch Tom Brady, he is slow as hell, but he has tremendous feet. Um, but, no, I think Kyle, uh, I think he'll be a, a really good pro that will last a long time. Shane, do you see a lot of yourself in Kyle Trask, uh, specifically from the cerebral part of the game? Yeah, maybe, but you know, he he actually weighs uh, seventy five pounds more than whenever <laughs> I came out as a senior. Um, yeah, he's like two fifty. I was one eighty when I came out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's a smart player. He's accurate. Uh, accuracy is the most important thing in playing the position, in my opinion. Some some coaches think because you got a big, strong arm and all this stuff, they can teach you to be accurate. You can't. You either. You're either born with accuracy or you're not. You can't really work on it. And I don't care what any of these NFL gurus and these trainers and stuff tell you. Uh, you're either accurate or you're not. It's just like, you know, guys are fast or you're not. You can maybe improve your time just a little bit, and that's kind of how accuracy is. Shane, Florida transitioned from Felipe Franks to Kyle Trask, and obviously they didn't miss a step from the very from the very beginning there. Um, but what was it about what Kyle Trask was bringing that maybe Felipe wasn't uh, back just two years ago? Now, uh, I mean, when I watched them, I mean, you know, and Felipe's gonna the NFL guys are gonna fall in love with him because he's got all the skills and a tremendous arm. Uh, I think Felipe, his problem. And he was good at at times. He wanted to make the big play all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when you watch Kyle play, 
he was just very consistent. He had no problem taking a five-yard completion or a seven-yard completion. And, and I, I, that's, you know, that's playing quarterback to me. Taking what the defense gives you, uh, nickel and dime them, and then when your shots are there, take them. So, uh, you know, and, and it was impressive because Kyle hadn't played much. He didn't play much in high school. But, you know, it's, it's all about being given an opportunity and taking full advantage of it, and he did that. Yeah, obviously he <laughs> comes into that Kentucky game, and that, that offense looked like a completely different good offense when Kyle Trask came in in the Kentucky game. Actually, stayed, it's actually saved the game for us because I, I believe if, if – if, and, and I hate to say this, I, I believe if Franks was not hurt and kept playing in that game, we probably would have lost that game. And that's just not a knock on Franks. It's not a knock on anybody. It was just – you would see – the obvious transition from Felipe Franks to Kyle Trask. And uh, a lot of people, you know, questioned the staff and said, why was Kyle Trask on the bench this long? And uh, you have to actually question Jim McElwain because he kept him on the bench too. So, <laughs> Well, it, it goes back to a lot of coaches. Um, they get enamored with the more talented person. Yeah. And just because a guy isn't 6'4", 235, can throw it 75 yards, uh, they they just kind of overlook it. And the, that's the honest truth. And, you know, like you said, McElwain overlooked him. Uh, Mullen overlooked him. So, you know, these coaches get a – they get in their mind what they're looking for when they – what they want out of their quarterback. You know, you want, want a 6'4", 235-pounder who can run and who can make all the throws. Well, there's a lot of those guys in in America, but that doesn't mean they can play the damn position. Yeah, football IQ and accuracy count as well. And uh, speaking of quarterbacks, uh, as we want to get on the quarterback subject, uh, a lot of changes coming our way this year with Kyle Trask taking an exit and going to the NFL and, and some new kids on the block, or I should say on the gridiron, uh, Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson, and Carlos Del Rio, Jalen Kidna as well enter into the 2021 quarterback competition. And before... We get into a little bit of quarterback discussions. I'd like to go ahead and thank our sponsors over there at the UPS store in Tower Square for all your printing and shipping needs. Make sure to check out the UPS store in Gainesville in Tower Square. We'd also like to thank the band Felicity for their sponsorship of ChopTalk.com. The song you heard at the beginning of the podcast is called Burn the World. It is from their album, Brace Yourself. You can find them on Twitter at WeAreFelicity. And you can also find their music on SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, and other music and media platforms. So, uh, folks, here we go. New blood in the quarterback room. Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson, Carlos Del Rio, and Jalen Kitna. All quarterbacks in high school ranked in the top 200 overall in their respective classes. Emory Jones coming in from high school ranked the 85th overall player in the 2018 class. This is all 24-7 sports composite. And Anthony Richardson ranked 204th overall in the 2020 class, and Carlos Del Rio ranked 148th overall in the 2021 class, also joining Jalen Kitna, one of those underrated kids. But uh, we saw what happened with Kyle Trask. He was underrated, and uh, he he lit everybody up this year. So Jalen Kitna coming in at a uh, great 790, 90, 90th, somewhere around there. Uh, but, yeah, a floor, you know, it's going to be a full quarterback competition this year. Emory Jones, obviously, three years from 2018 all the way to this year. I, I suppose Emory Jones is going to start. Uh, over Anthony Richardson due to the experience that he had has in the system for three years. Uh, a lot of people saying, oh, Anthony Richardson might be better than Emory Jones, and we have really haven't seen a sample size from either one of them. We saw more from Emory Jones than we saw from Anthony Richardson. 
So I guess first off, I'll just start a little bit with just Emory Jones and Shane. You know, obviously, as you as a former quarterback, what do you think Emory Jones' upside to this team is going to be, and what do you think he needs to work on coming into the season? Well, he, he's waited his turn. Uh, I think it's going to be his team. You got to remember, this was Mullen's big recruit when he when he got the job here. They flipped him from Ohio State. Um, Emory's an elusive runner and an explosive runner. Has a really good arm. You just don't know where it's going half the time. You know, he needs to learn all the pitches, uh, not just throw the fastball. Um, but he, he's a talented guy. You know, these these are these guys that, and, and like I said, I think he's going to be a good player for us. But these are the, the kind of guys that coaches get enamored with at combines, at elite 11s and things of that nature. Um, but, no, Emory's played a lot. Uh, he's thrown the ball well. Uh, some of the games he's been in, he hasn't had a whole lot of opportunities. I do think we're going to have a totally different offense. You're going to go back to the days of what Dan Mullen did with the Nick Fitzgeralds and the Dak Prescotts and those guys at Mississippi State. You're going to probably get about 20 to 25 passing attempts a game, but a lot of quarterback runs. And with the new quarterback, and obviously the system's going to change. We all know the system's going to change. It's not going to look like it looked last year. And you have a lot of talented running backs still there. Malik Davis, Damian Pierce, and Naquan Wright. But you have two other running backs, big five-star, fast running back. And I think DeMarcus Bowman is just ridiculous. His high school film is ridiculously crazy, man. The guy is fast. He's powerful. I uh, was very sad when we didn't land him, and I was very happy when he we landed him in the transfer portal right back from Clemson. Do you see the running back situation changing now that the offense is going to change, now that we're going to be running kind of that you know Nick Fitzgerald offense and more of a run-heavy offense? Do you see some of those running backs like Malik Davis and Damian Pierce taking a backseat to some of the speedier running backs like Lorenzo Lingard and Demarcus Bowman? Uh, I'm not sure about Lingard. I think, I think Bowman you know, is one of the best running backs to ever come out of high school. We'll have a really good opportunity. They like Damian Pierce. They like Naquan Wright is, <clears throat> I've been told, is the smartest running back we have from protections and all that stuff. It's Naquan Wright. Uh, I, I think you're going to continue seeing him get carries. I think Malik, Malik Davis will as well. I think you got a ton of running backs there. Uh, I don't know if Lingard, uh, I don't know if he's coming off an injury or what, but, you know, he couldn't get in the mix last year. And granted, it was his first year learning the system and things of that nature. But, you know, don't get enamored with those stars next to somebody's name because that doesn't mean they're always going to pan out. But um, I think Bowman uh, will be an electrifying running back. But you're going to continue to see, I think, all of them play to keep them happy. Yeah, kind of on the same subject, uh, Florida landed Eric Gilbert in the transfer portal here. Uh, the highest rated tight end on in 24-7 sports is history. Um, just what, what do you think he can add to the passing game if he's eligible? And how much easier is having a big target like a Kyle Pitts was to Kyle Trask? How much easier is that going to make it for Emory Jones or whoever ends up playing quarterback? Well, Kyle Pitts was a unique player uh, because of his size and speed, but his catch radius and ball skills were ridiculous. I mean, there were times that Kyle threw the ball extremely high or very low, and he somehow came up with it. Uh, Eric Gilbert is a phenomenal athlete. Uh, I remember watching him early in the year against LSU, and I was like, who is this guy? Uh, Runs like a wide receiver. Uh, I think he will definitely help Florida's offense. I don't 
I think he I, I don't want to say he's as good as Kyle Pitts, but he, he has a chance to be that type of player. I don't know when he's going to be eligible or any of that kind of stuff. But, no, Eric Gilbert is a uh, freak talent at the tight end position. Yeah, and back when, obviously, back in the 90s, we didn't have a transfer portal. We obviously didn't have cell phones. We didn't have social media. We didn't have other ways of communication to communicate with recruits or have, you know, just be away from them. And, you know, now you can see a lot more film before the kids get on campus and before, you know, anybody steps foot on a football field in college. Uh, What do you think now with the transfer portal and, and how Dan Mullen has utilized this transfer portal do you think now that recruiting, you know, obviously they don't count the transfers in the recruiting rankings or anything like that, but now do you think that other teams are starting to catch on that they're staying, like if you go down any kind of 24-7 sports pages, you see teams like Clemson with 20 commits, and usually most college teams will take into that 23 to 27 range every year. You see Clemson, they've only got 20 kids signed, and you see a lot of these other schools that only have 19 and 20 right now, and, and National Signing Day is already over. Do you think now kids are starting to see where their Dan Mullen is picking, cherry picking at the transfer portal? He's doing a great job doing it. Do you see now teams kind of trying to jump on the, doing the same thing? Possibly, but a lot of teams may not also uh, be filling their allotment because with the whole COVID deal where kids can come back, it screwed up your numbers. Um, you know, you, technically you can only have 85 scholarships. I think now you can be up to 95 or 100. Uh, for another year, but after next year, you have to get back down to 85. So there's going to, it's going to be, it's a mess. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the transfer portals, it's great because if a kid doesn't think he should, he's getting any playing time, he can go somewhere else and maybe play. It's also a way for coaches to, in a nice way, cut a kid. Uh, because, you know, back in the day, you take a, uh, a kid's scholarship away from high, from whatever high school he went to, you're never going to be able to recruit a kid from that high school again. But now when you have your exit meetings, coach can say, hey, you're third on the depth chart. We have these guys in front of you. These guys we just signed at your position are coming in. You know, if you want to stick it out here, we think you're a good player. You have to earn your playing time or – you know, maybe you want to look elsewhere. I think it's a way for coaches to get rid of kids too. But I think kids need to be very careful going into the transfer portal because I saw somewhere the other day over a thousand kids are in the transfer portal and only like 24% of them have signed. You know, there's like 70 something percent of these kids that are just going to sit there. Or maybe this was from last year that 70 something percent of them had scholarships and free education and gave it all up and are sitting at home with no place to go play. So it's, it's a weird dynamic. Uh, but, but back to your point, Dan Mullen and his staff have done a tremendous job picking and choosing guys to plug and play them right away. Shane, I want to get back to a little bit because I know you were, you were talking about Luke. Luke had the opportunity to go to Valdez. He had an opportunity to go to Mercer. He chose to come to Florida do you see him at some point saying maybe, you know, two or three years down the road, Hey, I think I'd like to go and, you know, start uh, somewhere, maybe add like a Valdosta, for example, uh, and then entering that portal himself. Um, and what kind of advice would you give him if he, if he chooses to do something like that? Well, it's his life. If he wanted to do it. I'd say go do it, but getting a degree 
you know, from the University of Florida goes a long ways. So he is, uh, yeah, he wants to play, but he understands, you know, just because if you go into the transfer portal and even you go down a level, there's no guarantee you're going to get to play there either, you know. That's the problem with the quarterback position. Only one dude can play. You know, it's different at wide receivers and running backs. I mean, you can play multiple guys. You can, you can line up five wide receivers on every play if you want. So the quarterback position is very unique, and that's why, you know, there's so many guys moving around, trying to find an opportunity to play. Um, so I think kids need to be very careful. Uh, let's just – I mean, that, that, that's what I've always said about Kyle Trash. You know, everybody was like, it's great he never transferred. And I agree 100% with that. I think he wanted to graduate from the University of Florida. He loved being a Gator. But when you sit back and think about it, Kyle probably knew who's going to give me a scholarship out of the transfer portal. Yeah. I had two I had two scholarships coming out of high school, Florida and was it Houston Baptist or Dallas Baptist or something like that. So when you haven't played and you go into the transfer portal, you're giving up your scholarship and there's no guarantee another team's going to give you a scholarship. Now, McElwain may have signed him at Central Michigan or I think it's Central Michigan, whatever that's max school he's at. But do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, there was no guarantee. You know, people kept saying, well, we're glad Kyle didn't transfer. I think Kyle's smart enough to know who's going to give me a scholarship. I couldn't get one out of high school. So I, I think kids need to be careful uh, about going to the transfer pool and giving up that free education and that experience. And, yes, everybody wants to play. But, again, it's like I try to tell a lot of my friends don't understand football. You know, only 70 kids dress on a Saturday for an SEC game. And only about 32 of those 70 – play in the game. And I don't think people realize that. There's a ton of guys on scholarship that never play a down. And you're passing up that free education, too. And obviously, the transfer portal has changed a lot. And you're right. Most of those players that are in the portal are stuck in the portal. And And they're never going to play football again unless unless they go down a level where you know, if a Florida kid who thinks he needs to go into the portal, there may be a <clears throat> Valdosta State or a Division Two or somewhere that might give him a scholarship. It's just, it's a risk you take. You know, when you got the, when you got the the Marcus Bowmans of the world, the Eric Gilberts, who are, the, I mean, you're talking like the number one recruit at your position when you come out of high school. Yeah. That's a different story. Everybody in America is want to give you a scholarship, but if you're just a backup right now there's no guarantee you're going to get a scholarship from somewhere else. Yeah. And obviously they didn't have the transfer portal back there in the nineties. And uh, I guess back in the day when there was no transfer portal and you weren't starting, say like you were the backup on a team or backup quarterback or backup running it back or, or whatever. You're just sitting on the bench and you never get to start for the college. Was it harder to want to transfer to a school back then? Because there's no portal and I believe you had to wait a year if you transferred, but you had if you transferred, you couldn't transfer within your conference. It had to be a different conference as well. So it was right. a lot. Or you, or they, or the school could give you a release to play within the conference. It was, it was all kinds of different rules. But you're exactly right. And I did want to transfer because I didn't play my first three years at Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to go back to Ole Miss because that's where I had a lot of friends there. I knew I could go po- have a very good opportunity to be the starter at Ole Miss. But my parents said, "Look." You're going to graduate from the University of Florida. We don't care if you ever play a, a down a football. And so 
Now, fast forward to 2020 or 2021, if I was playing, would my parents say the same thing? Probably not because of the transfer portal, but there's still no guarantee if so-and-so goes into the transfer portal, if anybody's going to give them a scholarship. So it's a, uh, it's a risk you take. Do you think a lot of these kids or, or kids or the kids' parents are calling these schools beforehand before they even go into the transfer portal to make sure that they can even transfer to that school? Do you think a lot of that is going on? I would assume. I mean, I don't know how it all works, but gosh, I mean, you, you would hope that, you know, you do some kind of uh, research about or you got some kind of relationship with the coach on another staff that recruited you out of high school. I, I don't know how it all works, honestly. I mean, we know how Grenard worked. I mean, he played for Todd Grantham at Louisville, so that made sense. Yeah, um, there was a relationship there. Yeah, so I can see that. And then, you know, heck, uh, I think the kid that we just got from Auburn in the transfer report of the big D lineman, I want to say he's from Orlando, if I'm not mistaken. So that that makes a little sense, you know. I think you got to really do your research if you're going to put your name into the transfer portal. Right. Absolutely. And uh, actually, one last question I was going to ask you. It's just a random question now that we're, we're entering the NFL draft this year, and Kyle Trask obviously is in, in this draft. Of all the quarterbacks, since you're a former quarterback, which quarterback do you think is the most talented out of this whole draft right now? Oh, Trevor Lawrence. Ain't, it ain't even close. Okay. Uh, he's, he's the most NFL-ready quarterback I've ever seen. Uh, a lot of people, you know, said Andrew Luck and Peyton were NFL ready, but this this guy's way clearly more talented and more athletic than those guys, in my opinion. And I would say the second best would be Zach Wilson out of BYU. I fell in love with him watching him play as a redshirt freshman a few years ago. I, I, he's got he's got a little swagger to him. He's got a, I don't want to say he's got a little Patrick Mahomes in him, but he he's got he can make all the throws from the different arm angles and he can move around. I think he's going to be a really good pro as well. You heard that Jaguar fans. <laughs> That's why oh, Urban I mean, came it, back, right? <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, it had a lot to do with him taking that job, I would assume. I mean, you you're going to get one of the best I mean, I, I firmly believe he is the most NFL-ready kid to ever come out of college. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how it works out in Jacksonville. Well, Shane, I think on behalf of all of Gator Nation, uh, we all want to thank your parents for, you know, not allowing you to transfer out uh, before <laughs> before you had a chance to put up record-setting stats here at UF. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I was calling my parents and uh, saying, hey, I, I want to go to Ole Miss, go back to – I mean, my mom was a cheerleader there, and my dad played there for four years. So, But they're like, nope, ain't happening. You're going to graduate and be, uh, from the University of Florida. Yeah, we're going to have to go check out that uh, Spurrier's Gridiron Grill, whatever it comes out to. Yeah, it's uh, it's phenomenal, man. I can't tell you how nice it is. I've been in there several times, and I don't know exactly when it's going to open up, but uh, I've been to the – taste testing you know with some of the items on the menu and it is phenomenal food said they also have a podcasting room in there are we going to get a future they do. pot up with shane matthews at the gridiron grill yep uh i probably will be doing my podcast from there only which will be great just that means i gotta actually get up and drive there and don't can't do my podcast from my house <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to it, Shade. Obviously, it was fun having you on, having a former quarterback on, getting like a former quarterback's perspective to us average guys, us average folks here. 
uh, on the Gridiron Growl podcast, and hopefully we'll be able to see you at Spurrier's Gridiron Grill later on when it opens here in the spring. And obviously, I just said you have a podcast, Shane. Go ahead and uh, let us know where we can find you, you and your podcast to find you on social media and other platforms. Yeah, the name of my podcast is Pot Up with Matthews in the Morning. It's live Monday through Friday from 8 to 9. Um, but if you miss it, you can check it out on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all those different social platforms that I don't really know how any of that stuff works. I'm just very fortunate. I got a good group that does it for me. All I do is have to turn my laptop on and I'm ready to roll every morning. So, yeah, we'll check check us out and follow us and do all that kind of stuff. Definitely going to have to check you out at Spurrier's Gridiron Grill when it officially opens. I don't think there's official an official date, but I, I remember seeing on the website it did say spring 2021. Uh, so. Yeah, my, my guess will be May, maybe late April. May is my guess. Maybe around the spring game, if they have a spring game this year. Uh, who knows? Uh, but uh, Shane, is is great having you on, man. Uh, th- it was an honor. Uh, a former quarterback, a former Florida legend, and NFL quarterback, man. Shane, thanks for joining us here on the Gridiron Growl podcast, man. Yeah, thanks, Anytime, Shane. guys. Y'all take care. You too, man. And that was catching up with Shane Matthews, man, former Florida quarterback legend here at the University of Florida. We got some good insight on his college career and a little former quarterback inside on Emory Jones in the quarterback room coming up and how this offense is going to change this year and also got more insight of when Spurrier's Gridiron Grill will possibly open around May or April and uh, make sure to check out the pod up with Shane Matthews every day Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. I listen to it in my car at work every day and if you haven't checked it out yet he has some very fantastic guests on his show as well and even the old ball coach Steve Spurrier himself from time to time so uh, but uh, yeah I'm definitely <laughs> I am definitely excited for Spurrier's Gridiron Grill there at Celebration Point. If you haven't checked out just the pictures on the inside, you can look it up on Google, man. It it looks fantastic in there, man. And uh, who knows? Maybe one day down the road with the the podcasting table they got in there, maybe the Gridiron Growl will be at Steve Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. So, uh, But, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the Gridiron Growl podcast from Chomp Talk. And once again, man, it, it was a privilege and an honor to have on Gator great Shane Matthews, man, for our official 30th episode. And uh, you know what we say here on the Gridiron Growl podcast? In all kinds of weather, we don't just stick together, but we also keep it together. 